Hey everyone, this is Van Cochran, Vineyard Church Northwest. My message today is focused on what I believe will be the key to the church being effective and moving ahead into the revival that God has out there for us, a revival that will lead thousands, hundreds of thousands, and millions of people into the faith. And that characteristic is servanthood, having a humble servant's heart, just like Jesus. Morning, everyone. Hey, it's uh, great to be with you today. Um, I'm becoming more aware as I hear back from people how significant it is uh, to them that this is all happening in their living room. And I got a note from uh, one of our members a week ago that said the first week when uh, we were, the worship team started leading worship, she was really shocked because the Holy Spirit came into her living room and revealed himself in her living room just the same way he does here when we're all gathered here in this room and worshiping. And so uh, we count that a privilege to, to be able to be with you. So this is Easter morning. And we're going to remember this Easter for the rest of our lives. Uh, COVID-19, uh, the lockdown, er everything that's happening, it's just crazy. It's like nothing we've ever, ever experienced before. And, and I just want to say, if there was ever a time that we need the power of the resurrection, we need to understand and walk in the power of the resurrection, this is the time. This is the day. Wilson referred to uh, some of the signs of the power of the resurrection earlier. But do you know that when uh, Jesus was crucified, there was this huge earthquake and it opened the graves uh, of people all over the city. It cracked open tombs and graves. So that when Jesus was raised from the dead, when he took that first breath on Sunday morning, people who had died recently all came back to life. And they all stumbled back into the city. And, and they were alive and they, they lived out the rest, rest of their lives. It's almost like there was so much power released at the resurrection that there was all this collateral uh, blessing that happened. Just a splash over blessing so that, so that ev even the dead at that moment were raised to life. And that is the power that's available to us today. That's what we get to walk in. And it's really Jesus' call to us to walk in that power. Isaiah 25, uh, verses 7 and 8 says this. This is uh, from the book of Isaiah, 20, chapter 25, verses 7 and 8. This was written uh, some 500 years or so before uh, the time of Christ. And this is a prophecy of what's going to happen. It says, on this mountain, he will destroy the shroud that enfolds all peoples, the darkness that covers all nations. He will swallow up death forever. The sovereign Lord will wipe away the tears from all faces. He will remove the people's disgrace from all the earth. And it says, the Lord has spoken. So what a powerful statement, this shroud that covers the whole earth, which is death and the fear of death. Jesus came to destroy that, to destroy the power of death over this earth. And boy, you think about how uh, death is encircling our globe right now through this pandemic. And you know, what a powerful prophetic word that Jesus came to destroy the power of death. And he came to destroy the power of death, not just in the sense of at the end of your life you die, but death in all of its forms. Because every form of suffering, every form of pain in this life is an extension of death. 
uh, whether it's a relational problem, whether it's a sickness or an injury. Okay, so you can still hear me, good. Um, so, so he came to destroy death, not just, in, not just as a final act of when we die, but in all the forms it's expressed today. So that gives us something really to pray about and to pray over our, our nation and our world. But Isaiah 60, one through three uh, goes on to say this. It says, arise and shine for your light has come and the glory of the Lord rises upon you. See, darkness covers the earth and thick darkness is over the peoples. But the Lord rises upon you, and his glory appears over you. Nations will come to your light, kings to the brightness of your dawn. And so here, he, this is his desire for the people that accept this message that Jesus died for them and rose from the dead. He says, you're going to be light he says, there's going to, still going to be darkness in the world, but you are going to be light, and that light is going to overcome darkness, and people are going to be drawn, actually, to that light. So we're called and equipped to shine the light of Jesus everywhere we go. Now, thinking of what we're facing today and thinking of the crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus, we have a lot of similarities with what the apostles experienced uh, when Jesus was arrested, when he was crucified, and even up through the resurrection. But the, the, first, uh, the first thing is this. From their perspective, it came suddenly. They didn't see it coming. They didn't expect it to happen, even though Jesus had told them over and over and over again that it was going to happen. It really was a surprise to them, just like this, uh, this virus kind of came suddenly upon us. Second thing is, they, they uh, locked themselves away in response to the crucifixion. Uh, you see, at the end of the first day, uh, Jesus was crucified more than likely on Friday, uh, was raised on Sunday, early in the morning, and uh, that, that, that whole day they were locked away. I assume they were locked away for two or three days behind locked doors. We know that because at the end of the day, Jesus appears to them, and it specifically says the doors were locked. And so Jesus comes to them. Now, the thing is, one of the, one of the 11 wasn't there, Thomas. And so when they all told Thomas what had happened, that Jesus had come, he said, I, I don't believe it. I won't believe it till I put my hand in, into the marks in his hand and his side. And so it's eight days later that they're still in this room. Now, I'm, I'm assuming that they left the room and came back, but they're still here all together. Thomas is there, and they're all together with the doors locked again, and Jesus comes to, to them once again so that he can uh, reveal himself to Thomas as well as the other apostles. So they were locked away for eight days in, in fear and, and uh, not, knowing, not knowing what was going to happen, fearful to go out. Third similarity, uh, th there were different news reports going around, and they didn't know what to believe. Uh, you know, at the very beginning, they hear from some of the women that Jesus is alive, but they don't believe it. Then they hear from a couple other disciples who met Jesus on the Emmaus Road that he's alive, but they don't believe it. Not until Jesus came to them himself. But prior to Jesus coming to them, there's this rumor that the apostles stole the body. That's what the guards were paid to say. And so each of the individual apostles would know that he didn't do it because they didn't do it. But I kind of suspect that they were all looking at Peter, wondering if Peter had stolen the body away. 
Yeah, I can see, I can see Matthew going, going up to Andrew and saying, Andrew, come on now, be honest with me. Did Peter do this? Was it, this sounds like Peter. Sounds like Peter to me. And uh, so I, they're confused. They don't know what to believe or who to believe. And that's, that's so similar to today as well. The fourth thing is this, what they thought was a devastating turn of events actually became the turning point of history. It actually, it actually led into the greatest era of life the world's ever known. And in the same way, we're looking at this and we're saying that at the end of this, when, uh, you know, a couple months, I, I believe it'll be two or three months after the whole thing is over, the people's hearts are going to start to open up and in mass be open spiritually and be seeking truth and come to faith in Jesus, not only here in Cincinnati, uh, not only here in our nation, but, but all the way around the world. So what can seem to be a devastating moment, it, God can take and he can turn it around and make it something incredibly powerful and we get to be a part of it. And the fifth thing is this, this all opened up their mission for them and, and for us too as we're going through this season, it really is clarifying for us as Christians and as a church body, why are we here? You know, we're not here just to have a good life, just to be a good citizen, although those are, those are good things and God wants those for us. We're here for a purpose and we need to get our purpose clear. And, and for the apostles, I think, really believe that up till this point in time, they thought Jesus was gonna do the whole deal and they just got to tag along. Jesus was gonna fix everything. He was gonna restore the kingdom and he was gonna make everything right and they got to be there with him while he did it. But what Jesus is about to do is to hand this all off to them. And, and this is gonna be a surprise to them, but he's, he's empowering them through sending the Holy Spirit. They've been with him for three years learning from him how to do things, how he did things. And now they're gonna to get to enter into their, their God-given destiny, which is, to reach the world with the news, the good news, that not only did Jesus die for our sins, but that he's alive today. And that he can come into a person's life today, in this century, that he's here and he, and he wants to save people. All we have to do is, is call on him. But that's, gonna, that's, that's something that's coming to them, and I think it might have been a surprise. I, I, I remember a moment when my son and I were hunting, Wilson was, 13 years old, so I took him out on the youth day. And uh, lo and behold, Wilson shot a deer and killed it. It took two or three shots to kill it, but we, we got it done. And they, we had a cleaning kit. And in the cleaning kit, there was one long pair of rubber gloves that would go up over your elbows, and there was one just short pair that just went to your wrist. And so deer's dead, got the knife out, I'm getting out the gloves, and I handed Wilson the long gloves, and he took them, and he looked at me, and uh, the look on his face was priceless. He said, why are you giving these to me? <laughs> and I said, you killed it, man. I'm not sticking my hand inside there to clean it. You gotta clean it. And so I, this is that kind of moment for the apostles. They're, they're getting the gloves handed to them and they're, they're learning, okay, this, this, this Jesus came to empower us to advance the kingdom. He came to empower us to do this, not just for us to stand back and watch him do it. And, and it really takes power. We need power. We need power in order to fulfill the destiny that God's given us as a church. And I don't mean just our church, but as the church across our, our country and around the world. Romans chapter one, verses four and five says this. 
It's talking about the resurrection, talking about Jesus. It says, he, meaning Jesus, was descended from David. David was the greatest of the Old Testament kings, and he was the one that uh, God's word says had a heart after God, and uh, his heart was for God, and he was the one that got the promise that one of his descendants would sit on the throne and, and have an eternal kingdom. And so he was descended from David, and he was declared to be the Son of God in power by the Holy Spirit through his resurrection from the dead. So when Jesus rose from the dead, the Holy Spirit was involved in that, as was God the Father. And in that resurrection, there was a declaration being made that Jesus now is not just walking in the power of the Holy Spirit, which is in Jesus' ministry. He, he carried out his ministry as a true human. He was God fully. He didn't give up his deity, but he gave up the independent use of his prerogatives of deity. And he operated under the power of the Holy Spirit. And now when he rose from the dead, he's entering into his own position of power, right back into his own position of power. So the Son of God with power by the Holy Spirit. And Jesus Christ, our Lord, through whom we have received grace and apostleship to produce the obedience of faith among all the nations through his name. So again there we see the goal now is to get this message out to all the nations, to get the message out in the power of the Holy Spirit so people all around the world can come to faith in Jesus. You know when Jesus on the cross said it is finished, he wasn't just saying okay my agony is over. You know, my passion is, is over. The work of redemption is over. He wasn't even saying that. What he's saying is that a whole era of human history where death ruled with no alternative is over. It has ended, and we're entering into a new phase of humanity, a new phase of history. And that, that, his, that, that new phase is described in Isaiah 43, verses 18 through 21. Isaiah 43, 18 to 21, where suffering and pain and grief and death have all been defeated and now there is the ability to walk in newness of life and in new relationship with God. Here's what it says. Forget the former things. Do not dwell on the past. See, I'm doing a new thing. Now it springs up. Do you not perceive it? I'm making a way in the wilderness and streams in the desert. I provide water in the wilderness and streams in the desert to give drink to my people, my chosen, the people I formed for myself, that they may pro proclaim my praise. And again, there is this God's blessing people so they can proclaim God's goodness and praise to others and bring other people into relationship with him. So his purpose for us is clear and we're told in the New Testament that we are going to reign in life through Christ uh, we're going to reign in life. And what that means is that it's not just overcoming weakness. It's not just, okay, I've got this weakness, I've got to overcome it, and I've got to fight it continually. But it's really, it's, it means it's walking in strength. It's living in strength. And so it's not just fending off fear. You know, I have some method that I've learned where when I start to become afraid, I, 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 I am able to push fear aside. It's not that. It reigning means I'm going to live with boldness and faith and confidence in God and in, in, in bright and glistening hope. 
as our good friend Steve Backlund shared with us a few weeks ago. It's not just avoiding sickness, although we should avoid sickness, but it's walking in God's health, in divine health. And it's not just tolerating people, but it's having living, powerful relationships, thriving relationships with people. And so how do you live, how do you reign in life as an individual? Well, it's what I just said. It's, it's walking in strength. It's living in hope. It's walking in love and compassion towards others. And as a church body, we can ask ourselves, how do we do that? Well, Wilson mentioned this earlier, but our three focus points uh, for this season of time, uh, encourage, serve, and prepare. So encourage is important, prepare is vital, serve is the heart of the whole thing. And so just as I was preparing this message, I really felt like God spoke to me and said, it's developing a servant's heart that is going to carry us ahead in this new time. It's developing a servant's heart that is going to be the thing that will give us the ability to minister to people and, 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 to, and to see them come to faith in Jesus, to see their lives healed, their bodies healed, their marriages healed. And so encourage is important. Um, stay encouraged yourself, first of all. John Wimber, who started the Vineyard Movement, someone asked him one time, how do you keep your church encouraged? And he said, I, I'm not worried about keeping my church encouraged. He said... I just try to keep myself encouraged. It's enough to keep myself encouraged. So we gotta keep ourselves encouraged. Part of that comes down to what Jesus said when he said, be careful how you listen. And what he meant by that was, be careful what you open your heart up to. You're gonna hear all sorts of things. Be careful what you allow to impact your heart. And I've just um, determined I'm not going to I'm not going to turn on the news I'm not going to flip on my phone and go to a news um, to to a news um, page until I've already had my quiet time until I've already read the bible I've already gotten my thinking squared away because there's so much discouraging stuff out there so we got to we got to stay our encourage ourselves and then take every opportunity to encourage others that we can but um, preparing New things are coming. The virtual classes that Wilson just mentioned are going to help us prepare for the new things that are coming. And this is really vital uh, that we prepare, that we are equipped. Uh, Jesus, well, Peter in 1 Peter 1.12 said this. He said, prepare your minds for action. What that means is we recognize there's going to be difficulty. It's not going to be easy. There's going to be hardship. And, and my mind is prepared. I'm ready to say, I'm in this. I'm going to go for it. I'm not going to quit. I'm not going to give up. I've been listening to a podcast by a guy named Jocko Willink, who is a former Navy SEAL officer. And um, I've listened to several of his. I haven't listened to all of them. But one of the things that's come to me is that Navy SEALs, in all of their training, they're training for one thing and that is battle. They're not training to learn how to be a good soldier in the barracks. Their, their goal is not to learn how to march well or, or any, anything else like that. Their whole goal is be prepared for battle. Have your mind prepared and be equipped for battle. And, and as that's come to me several weeks ago, this came to me, I just thought you know, so much in the church is focused around more the idea of just comfort 
and just giving people just enough hope to, to make it rather than for us to recognize that Jesus died and rose from the dead to create an army of believers who would go out and, and not do battle in a way to destroy, but would do battle with the enemy, God's enemy, in order to bring life to the world. And so this whole idea of what are we coming out of with this? And the apostles, they thought, they, they, they thought all they had to do was tag along, and then all of a sudden Jesus says to them, no, get up there, you're on, it's your turn, do the stuff. And so we've got to be prepared. And preparation is just a huge part of it. But I believe this, ultimately, it's going to be having a humble heart of service that is the thing that impacts the world. When we come to the world with humility and with hearts, a servant's heart, it's going to open people's hearts up. I remember several years ago, before we had this building built, I was driving across Cross County Highway to our offices, and I saw a van and two women and some children standing beside the van. And so I stopped, and uh, oddly enough, they were doing a test drive of this van, and they had driven it from someplace like Mason, I think, all the way down to here, and ran out of gas, which I thought was kind of odd that anybody would do that. But I went to get them gas, and I went to the gas station, and um, I asked them if they had a gas can I could borrow. They said no. I said, well, I, I just need to get some gas to some ladies down the road here that are stuck on Cross County Highway. And I bought a gas can, and I, and I was going to go fill up. I gave her my credit card. And I gave her the church credit card that said Vineyard Northwest on it. And as she's running it, she's, she said to herself, she said, oh, so that's why. And I said, pardon me? And she said, that's why you're doing this. Because you're from the vineyard, and the vineyard helps people. And I thought, wow, I like that. I like that. Now, a lot of that is the work of Dave Workman and Steve Shogren through the years here um, leading the vineyard movement. But we're part of that. We're known already as being a place that helps people. And we've got to ramp that up. We just got to ramp that up. We've got to learn how to walk in compassion and humble serving, having serving hearts towards others. And really, as we do, that's where the power is going to come from. You know, the Bible says God gives a greater grace to the humble. He gives grace to the humble. And grace is God's empowering presence for us to do what God wants us to do. That's what it is. Grace is God's empowering presence for us to do the thing he calls us to do. And it says more than once in the New Testament that God gives grace to those who have a humble heart and a humble attitude. And Jesus lays this out. It's the last lesson he taught his apostles in John 13, verses uh, 3 through 5. John 13, 3 through 5. Listen to this. It says, Jesus knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from forth from the God and was going back to God, got up from supper, laid aside his garments, and taking a towel, he girded himself. Then he poured water into the basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel which he, with which he was girded. And so Jesus here does the thing that was typically the work of a servant, a servant who would wash the feet 
of the house guests that are coming in for a meal. And part of that was just that they, they walked around in sandals on dirty roads all the time and their feet were filthy and grimy. And the way they ate, they laid down and so their feet were right there open. They weren't like hidden under the table. And Jesus begins to actually wash their feet. His final lesson to them, one of complete humility, willing to serve, no job is beneath him. And you see that in uh, Mark 10, 45, Jesus is hard to serve. Mark 10, 45 says, even the son of man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. And so it says there, Jesus didn't, he was the king, but he didn't come to be served as a king. He came to serve others and ultimately serve by giving his life for the world. And so Jesus then at the end of this passage in John 13 says this, says, he said, I gave you an example that you should do as I did to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a slave is not greater than his master, nor is one who is sent greater than the one who sent him. Now what he's saying here is, I am your leader. I'm the one sending you. And you all know that if someone is sent, they are not greater than the one sending them. And so that's why the very next thing he says is this. He says, he's telling them that you see me do this, you need to follow me in this because you're not better than me. It's not like, it's not like you don't need to do humble acts of service like this. He's saying, I'm your leader, do what I'm doing. Follow me. And he ends it by saying this, if you know these things, you are blessed if you do them. So if you know this, if you get this lesson and then you begin to live a life of humble service to others, you're blessed as you do that. There's a special blessing, there's grace, there's power. And I just want to say this, that when, when you have a, you're growing a servant's heart, there is Holy Spirit empowerment that comes into your life through that. And this whole idea, how, how do you grow a servant's heart? I want to say this, there's a key word involved in this, the word compassion. Because Jesus ministered out of compassion. And over and over again it says, he, he saw the multitudes and they were like sheep without a shepherd, so he healed their sick. He felt compassion for them because they were like a sheep without a shepherd, so he healed their sick. And it says he felt compassion for the multitudes because they were hungry, so he fed them. It says he felt, he felt compassion for the multitudes, so he taught them about God the Father. Everything he did flowed out of compassion, even when he was on the cross. And he said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. That was an act of compassion on his part, and it flowed out, out of his compassion. So God's power throws, flows through a compassionate servant's heart. And that's what we all need to be seeking. That's the thing that's going to carry us into this next era of the church's life and into this next era of revival that we see coming. It's going to be have, having a compassionate, humble servant's heart. I was um, a Christian for just a couple of years when this happened, but I, I had taken um, ministry of leading a, a high school group in the college town that I was in. And um, one night after I had led the group, I went out to my car and I had a flat tire. 
Now the man's home, the man who had started the group, started the group, his name was Mel Stewart. And he was probably a man in his upper 40s, maybe early 50s. Very godly man, successful businessman. I, you know, I held him in very high regard, way up here. And another man who was there that night, uh, Dr. Niles Ziegler. And he, I just had very high respect for him too. They saw that my tire was flat and I was opening my trunk and they came out and they said, go over there and sit down. I said, we're going to change your tire for you. And I said, what? No, I, I can change my own tire. You don't have to, why, why would you do that for me? And they just said, because we want to serve you, so just sit down. And so, I mean, I respected them enough just to sit down and let them do that. But I learned a couple things there. One of them was that, and I think this is true, if you're going to have a servant's heart, you have to be willing to be served. And that's where Peter failed when he said, Jesus, you can't wash my feet. And Jesus said, if I don't wash your feet, then we don't have anything going on between us. And so if you can't be served, then you're not really going to serve with real humble compassion. The second thing was this, that no job is too low for you. There's, There's nothing that's beneath you. And we should all always be ready to do whatever is required. And, and to serve in whatever way we're called to. Now, I've, I've taken that as just as a value I've tried to hold ever since then. And even before that, I received a lot of those values from my father. But it really set a standard for me, this, this event, when they, when they served me in this way. And, and that, a standard that was sorely tested some years later in 1994. Uh, Lori and I were, if you know our story, uh, we were pastoring in a fundamentalist uh, setting where we did not believe in the gifts of the Spirit. Then I had a shift of theology and began to believe in the gifts of the Holy Spirit. And as a consequence of that, I resigned the church we were at because we felt that it wouldn't be right for us to stay there and disrupt that church. And the church did not want to, the elders did not want to hear uh, anything we had to say about the work of the Holy Spirit. So on one given Sunday morning after the service, I was reading my resignation to the elder board. And as I'm in a room reading my resignation to the elder board, this young guy knocks on the door and peeks his head in. And I I knew he was smart enough to know not to interrupt us, so it must be important. So I stopped, I walked out, and he told me that a charter member of the church had just died. And um, just, I don't know, a half hour before, something like that. And so I went back into the room, and I think there were 18 board members there. this, this lady was an aunt to five or six of them and a lot of, lot of family connections there. But um, I finished my, <clears throat> I finished my um, resignation and we chatted for a little bit and I left to go to the house to see the husband. And you know, I've never told this story in public before and um, probably no more than five or six people have I told, but I really felt like God wanted me to share it today. So as I get out of the car, the funeral director is there. He has the gurney, a gurney and he, he, has, he has taken the woman to the funeral home. And he came up to me and, and he said, Pastor, he said, um, it's a horrible mess in there. He said, he said, I normally show the beloved one to their family before I take them. But he said, this is horrible. And is it okay with you if, I, if we don't do that? And I said, of course, don't. You know, just take her, and I went in, he said, the bathroom's a mess. So I went in, and I looked at the bathroom, and um, as he had told me, 
this godly woman, she died in convulsions, vomiting, and, uh, and emptying her bowels. And the whole bathroom was covered, everything. Mirrors, windows, the walls, the floor, just everywhere. So um, I'm thinking to myself, we can't leave this man here to clean this up himself. And so I immediately start praying, God, send someone. And I go in and I start talking to him, and I'm just really trying to buy time because I'm really hoping God's going to send somebody that will do this. And so, lo and behold, after five minutes or so, the head trustee comes. And I think, okay, great, this is actually his job. And so I took him to the bathroom and I said, look at this, we can't leave this for him. I said, this is your job. I'd already had a bucket and a mop and everything there. I said, you got to clean this, man. And so he went in, and I think he closed the door. He's in there for like a minute, maybe a minute and a half. He's a big guy, real big guy. He come out sheepish, white, and he said, Pastor, I can't do it. I'm going to get sick. I can't do it. And so then I'm thinking, oh, God, isn't there anybody out there that maybe hasn't come to church lately or they're not tithing, and you're a little bit mad at them, and you can maybe just direct them to stop by right now and, and we can, I can assign them this task. And, you know, of course, that no, no, nobody else came. And so I said, okay, I'll do it. So I took off my tie. That was back in the days, type of church where you wore a tie and a suit to church. Took off my jacket and my tie and um, went into this room and started to clean. And, and I'm telling you, it was, it was really bad. But my goal was to clean it well enough that he would not, he'd be able to walk in and, and not see anything or smell anything. And so I, I, I wanted this man not to have to experience that. And so it's, I mean, it was a messy, awful job, but at some, at some point in, the, in, the, in this process, it just dawned on me what an incredible privilege it was to do this. You know, what an incredible privilege it was to serve this man, a godly man who just lost his wife of over 50 years, and I get to do this for him. And it just really kind of changed the whole thing for me and the whole atmosphere for me. And over the years, I've realized more and more that that day wasn't an awful thing God forced me to do. It wasn't a test to see if I would do it. It was really a gift that he gave to me to be able to serve this man that way. And, and to be able to leave there knowing that one of the last things I had done was to, to bless someone. And, and, and just to say, okay, you know, we weren't being treated totally well. We were a good group of people, but they were hurting and fearful, and they made some decisions that were not helpful to us. But to know that we left there uh, in that way, it's just really been a blessing to my heart over the years. And, and a blessing to me. So it was a gift to be able to do that. And I just want to say that whatever the task, it's, it's not beneath you. Whatever it might be. Whatever it might be, it's not beneath us. And when we take that heart attitude, um, take that heart attitude, the, the Jesus heart, a servant's heart, ask God for that Better, better yet, you just declare that you have it because you have Jesus in you, so you have his heart 
That's your DNA is to serve. What we have to do is, is get some of the false thinking out of our minds that some jobs are for some people and, and other acts of service are for me because I'm gifted this way or I'm gifted that way and that's not my gift. But to have a hard attitude that says, I'm gonna serve, I'm gonna, I'm gonna have a humble heart of service out of compassion everywhere I go. If we have that, then everywhere we go, God will show us ways to serve people. And then when we speak to them, when, when there's an occasion to actually share the name Jesus with them, they'll, they'll get it from a heart that they're going to be able to, they're going to be able to uh, relate to, and they're, they're a heart that they're going to appreciate, and they're going to feel open to. And so this whole thing of uh, uh, just a humble heart of compassion, a servant's heart for others is the thing that's going to move us ahead as a church. It's really the thing that's going to heal some marriages too. Uh, marriages that are where you're having trouble and you're fighting all the time. Uh, if, you, if even one of you takes up this attitude that there's nothing, to, not, nothing beneath me, no relationship beneath, beneath me, uh, nothing beneath me, I'm going to serve my spouse, that'll turn your marriage around. It'll change your parenting style. If you're, a parent, if you're a child and you're having trouble with your parents, if you take this attitude towards them, it'll flip your relationship with them. And in your neighborhood, it'll change everything. Just this humble, compassionate servant's heart. And some people might say, well, it's, it, well, I just want to say this. Humility isn't thinking less of yourself. In John 13, it says Jesus knew who he was, he knew where he had come from, and he knew where he was going. It's very specific to say that. That's when he took up the towel in the basin and, um, and washed their feet. So humility is not thinking less of yourself. It's really recognizing that you're awesome. If you know Jesus, you are awesome. You're incredible. It's knowing that and choosing to do this. And so it isn't... Um, letting other people take advantage of you either. Jesus didn't let people take advantage of him. He didn't allow the religious leaders ever to manipulate him into something he didn't want to do. So it's not that, but it's having a heart that says, I'm, I'm willing to serve. I'm willing to do whatever, whatever is here. Humility isn't being a quiet, nice person who never, never causes any waves. I mean, Jesus turned over the money changers' tables and, so, and he, he, uh, he angered his, his spiritual enemies all the time. So a humble servant's heart is just walking in compassion, walking in the compassion of Jesus towards other people. It is knowing how awesome you are and how strong you are and how willing you are to flip those tables over if it's the right thing to do, but as well choosing to live in a way that no job is beneath you. Choosing to live in a way that no, no relationship, no, no person is beneath you, no friendship is beneath you, and, and that you are willing to serve just like Jesus taught, taught us to here. When we do that, it's going to be powerful. We're going to see power released, and we're going we're to see our church body become more and more and more powerful. So let's pray. Just put your hand in your heart. And say, Jesus, I want to follow you. I want to live like you lived. I want to be like you. Thank you for giving me the power of the Holy Spirit. 
Thank you for giving me your heart, your DNA you've placed in me. Thank you for that. Jesus, I, I want to just wipe away in my mind any thoughts that I am above a certain job or task or I am above talking to a certain person or helping a person. And I just accept, as you, as, you, as you portrayed for us, that there's no job beneath me, no person beneath me, no relationship beneath me. And I want to walk in your grace and your goodness. Teach me to do that in Jesus' name. Amen.